Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, everyone here this morning. We pray um, your Holy Spirit would bless this word, that it would be from you. Um, I pray, Lord, that my flesh wouldn't get in the way, that it would be the word that you've um, crafted for this moment in time. And I just pray that, Lord, we would be attentive, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, anytime um, somebody goes home to be with the Lord, it's it's always a bittersweet moment, you know, because we're grieving and we're, you know, we're talking about that. You know, Lawrence would come early with uh, Brandy and Isaiah, and he would always be back there, and we'd have a cup of coffee and talk about the latest things going on. And it's, I, you know, when we were praying for him on the way down to the hospital, it was still, um, you know, touch and go, or, we, you know, we didn't know his condition. And we were standing in faith. I know all of us who were praying were. And the thought came to mind, what if he does pass away? And I go, no, I don't want to think about that. I, I don't want to even entertain that idea. And yet the Lord uh, deemed it his will to take him home to be in glory. And he's walking on streets of gold. He's, um, I mean, I can't imagine what he's seen. You know, it's like that song, I can only imagine. And he's, he's like, I can't wait till they get here. I can't wait till they get here. And he can give us the tour and show us the stuff that he saw already and he's excited about. And I remember years ago um, when the Kalina family were uh, brought into the Church of the Firstborn, one of the first families, the founding families of this church, and we were on the road. Yeah, we started a church up in Avalau, uh, where we live now. And we were there for a while. And then the, the property sold. And they said, we don't want to have church up there. We can't have church up there anymore. So we went on the road for about a year. And we went house to house. We were in parks. We went whatever. It was just never know where we were going to have service. And the church did survive that time. And we would go to the Kalina's house once in a while. And we'd have church there. And um, it was a blessing. And when we finally planted, we were praying, could we get a public building, possibly, uh, you know, the county building. So we got the annex building over here. And we could only use it three Sundays out of the month because there was a Catholic church that was meeting there on the second Sunday of every month. So they said, you can use it, but this is a temporary situation and we can only use it three weeks out of the, the year. So Lawrence was saying, why don't you talk to Verna about the Scout Hall, which is this building here. And I go, I don't even, what is the Scout Hall? He goes, well, it's over there, and it's a Maui Pine, you know, has it as a community building. Maybe they'll let you use it. I heard from other pastors that other pastors tried to get a hold of this building, and it never happened. But because Lawrence was a son of this community, he had an inroad with Verna. Therefore, this is why the church is planted here. Not only that, his heart was really for the people of Haile Miley. He was praying, please, let's set this church up in Haile Miley, because he has such a heart for the guys who live here, the people of this community. And he knew what a great community it is. And his heart was always here. He had, um, just a few weeks ago, um, was a party over here. Uh, and he was saying how he was amongst all the highly Miley boys. You know, Lawrence is highly respected in this community. And uh, such a big part of this church and such a big loss to lose... Um, a person who, the more you got to know him, the more layers were un unveiled about his um, 
abilities, gifts, talents, whatever. It was just an amazing guy, and he will be tremendously uh, missed. Um, one of the things that we did do in the early history of this church um, was we did a day, and uh, Jody's not here this morning, but she, when we planted in this church, she goes, we should do something to bless this community. And we're just a little handful of people. We would put our chairs in a circle when we first started here. It felt really awkward to put our chairs like this, like a real church. And uh, they were thinking, well, what should we do to reach out to this community? Jody says, we should just go to everybody in the community and say, do you have any kind of needs? And we'll come out there and help them do whatever they want, you know, whatever they need done. And I'm thinking, yeah, with all, all 15 of us. And uh, so what happened was Pastor Sean, who lives in the neighborhood, we didn't even talk about this, but he said that they were a part of a, a group called Unashamed, and it was a several different churches in their youth merged together. And on a Thanksgiving weekend, the long Thanksgiving weekend, they said, we want to bless this community, and we chose Haile Miley. We didn't solicit, but they said, we're just choosing Haile Miley to do this blessing at. And so the, uh, over 100 youth descended on this neighborhood, and one of the things we did that day was paint this building. And there was, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, run ragged trying to organize this and get enough paintbrushes in people's hands and get them busy doing it. And, and not only did they paint this building, but they went out into the neighborhood and told the people we had several containers that Pastor Sean procured. And it was like, do you need any rubbish taken out of your yard? And people are looking up, like, why? You know, what are you doing? And it's, it doesn't cost you anything. We just want to bless you. And so people started, okay, yeah, take that rubbish over there. So he, we carted away out of here. I forget how many containers, those big rollaway containers. Went through the neighborhood on trucks and just loading people's rubbish up and coming and throwing them in the container. And um, we're painting the building, and Maui News actually showed up over here and says, why, why are you, what are you doing? And they had a picture of the kid painting his back railing over here, and he had him with his paintbrush. And he says, what are you doing this? He goes, I just wanted to show everybody that I love Jesus. And that made it on the front page of the Maui News, the front cover. And I remember that day, we painted all day, we cleaned, we did whatever we did. It was actually over two days we did this. And on the, I think it was the last day, one of the last things that we were doing... I remember on this back window over here on the, on the panes of the glass, you got that, the, the um, uh, small molding between the glass. And we're wrapping this thing up, and Lawrence is back there, and he was painting that last paint. And he, he was joking with me, because I had preached about the fact that it says that everything in this earth is reserved for the fire. It's all going to burn up. And he goes, well... No sense we do a good job. It's all going to burn. And he laughed. <laughs> he was just laughing about it. But he wasn't like that. He did a good job. And we, we uh, did a, did a uh, wrap up and painted the whole thing. And the building came out nice. And it was a blessing. Um, I want to read this scripture. This is in Second Peter. This is Second Peter uh, chapter 3. It says, Beloved, I now write to you this, this second epistle, in both in which I stir up your pure minds by reminder, that you may be reminded of the words which were spoken of before by the holy prophets and by the commandments of us as the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willfully forget, 
But by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That should be our focus. In light of the fact that everything that we're seeing here um, in this plane is very transient, very temporal, in fact, it is reserved for the fire. It will be burned up. And we put a lot of emphasis on those things that we can tangibly touch and um, things that we can tactilely make a connection with. But the Bible says the things that are seen are temporary and the things that are unseen are eternal. This is what the Bible says. That we're a sojourner, we're passing through this life. And yet we have to live here and we have jobs and we have families and we got to feed our family and we got to pay our bills and we need to do these things. But the primary drive in this life should be, number one, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our keeping close to Him, and especially, it says, as we see that day approaching. And we do see that day approaching. You know, last uh, week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, September 24th as a possible day that was on uh, people's radar. And we felt obligated to make mention of that because there was many people talking about it. And uh, thank God we survived. You know, nothing uh, monumental took place during this time. But yet there was some things that did take place. In the meantime, if you've been paying attention, it seems like this war in Ukraine has really been escalated. And uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russians are seriously uh, saber-rattling right now. And they're talking about possibly using nuclear weapons. And they're saying, we're not, we're not joking here. We're not playing games here. You guys better pay attention. And it's really um, a sad state of affairs that, uh, that we're in this position. You know, and the thing is, the biggest question that most people have is where is American Bible prophecy? And I'm sure if anybody's ever studied that topic, it's sort of a, a mystery or it's a question is where is the United States in this scenario? And I believe this I believe that his focus during this period of time is primarily upon the nation of Israel. There is Russia is mentioned, there is China is mentioned, there is Iran is mentioned, but there's really no mention of the United States during these times. We're on the other side of the world, and this time of suffering that's on the near horizon is called the time of Jacob's trouble, which is primarily to do with Israel. It's a sad thing to look at our country and the state of decline it's gone in in such a rapid pace recently where we've basically told God, we don't need you. We got this covered. We don't need you in this, in this nation to lead us. 
And yet there is a remnant of people. There is the church. It's believers like us who have a heart that says, Lord, have mercy. The Lord's will here is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. We pray for this nation. We pray for our local government. We pray for the community. We pray for a spirit of repentance to fall upon this nation, which is our only hope, really. It's a revival. It's a, it's a turning to the Lord. Now, whether that would be wholesale, who's to say? It might happen. Or it would be individual. And that's the choice we all need to make. Am I going to respond to that call? Am I going to respond to that, uh, that understanding of the times of which we live in? Where we look out there. And if you know anything about Bible prophecy, you're seeing things just getting ticked off the list constantly. That they're saying... That in December, whether these dates, you know, you, you, you throw down a date and it blows past and it's like, see, nothing happened. But we are, you have to be honest with yourself that we are steadily moving towards an agenda. Can we agree with that? Yes. We do see this. They're talking about going cashless in the United States or, or in the world. They're talking about this great reset, which is basically the advent of the new world order. It's, we're going to go off of cash. It's going to be major control grid. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. You have to go through this system. I don't know what that's going to look like. I really don't know. But we know that this has been looming for years. And now they said, possibly by December 13th. Whether they can pull this off, I don't know. But one of the things that I would imagine needs to be done before that could get done is there has to be a crumbling or a, a shaking of the current order of things. In order to get people to the point where they would even be receptive to that. Because most people do, would not want to go in that willingly. And especially if you know anything about the Bible. Some people are just like, oh, it's just the way it is. That's the way, that's the way it is nowadays. You know, um, This younger generation, a lot of times they don't even carry a wallet or a credit card. It's all in their phone. They go in to pay for something, wave their phone over the thing. Boop, it's, it's, it's paid for. So they're conditioning us. To go into a society where we really don't have really very much uh, anonymity uh, of cash or purchasing. It's all being tracked. Everything's being tracked. And that's unfortunately where we're leading to. But, but, before this thing really crashes and burns, the Lord is coming for his church. He did promise that. You know, there's, there's, there's segments within the church right now. I was listening to somebody preach on this, and I go, I was in absolute agreement with this. There's segments within the church. There's a, there, it's called Kingdom Now, or Dominion the Theology, or Replacement Theology, that says that the church is going to just grow and be powerful, and it's going to take over all these elements in the government, and the entertainment, and the, you know, the family life, and finance, and, and the church is going to be so triumphant that we're going to prepare the earth so that Jesus can come and establish His kingdom. Anybody ever come in contact or hear this theology, this teaching? Yeah, it's called Dominion Now. That is not of the Bible. That's not what the Bible says. It says that there would be a time of an apostasy. Apostasy means a falling away or people falling away from the reality and the truth of this word. And going after things that they would want to hear. Itching ears and tell me something sweet. Tell me something I want to hear. That's, a, that's an appealing message. That we're going to just get, we're going to just take dominion over this planet, and things are going to get better and better, and then Jesus will just hail Jesus, come back. It's we fixed the whole planet. It's ready for you. It's not what the Bible says. When he says he comes as a thief in the night, I believe what he's referring to is what's called the rapture of the church, the catching away of his church, because that's an event that no man knows the day or the hour. 
And in fact, this weekend is the Feast of Trumpets. Has anybody been paying attention to this right now? This, the, this, this particular time of year, it's very unique right now. And I'm not going to set a date, it has to be this weekend, it has to be. I can't say that for sure. But it's very interesting what's coalescing right now, right now. This is the beginning of, this is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, you say, what is the Feast? What, why are we even concerned about these things? Well, number one, Jesus wasn't an American. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew, Right? And whatever he was, he, he came and says, salvation is of the Jews. So this whole thing that we believe in, it has a Jewish context. And what happened was, somewhere along the line, the western side, or, or Rome, or just came in and basically overtook the church. And the church is a separate entity from Israel. So we'll get that straight. The church is a separate thing that God has going on that is not to do with Israel. But the roots of this... Jesus even says, you read these scriptures because in them you think you have light. But the scriptures are they which speak about Christ. And so every aspect of this is about Jesus. And so there are seven feasts having to do. And this, I might be you know, boring some of you who've studied this. You know, and I'm not that, that versed on this, but I'm going to do my best. But there's seven feasts having to do with the Jews. And you would find that in Leviticus 23, if we could go there. Leviticus 23 in the Old Testament. So this is where God is establishing his a form of worship amongst the Jewish people. And all these, all these things are illustrative of Christ. It's all talking about him. And, um, sorry, I went to the wrong book. Um, Leviticus... 23. Yeah. Um, verse. Yeah, we'll go from verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Uh, uh, a special time of meeting the Lord. So he's the first one, six days you shall work be done. In the seventh day it's a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is called the Sabbath and the Lord in all your dwellings. So number one for the Jewish people, it says six days you'll work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath, which was Saturday. You should do no work and rest. This was given to Moses to the Jewish people. And then he goes on in verse 4. These are the feasts that the Lord, the convocations which you shall proclaim in their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. The Lord, uh, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Seven days on the seventh day shall be a holy convocation. And you shall do no customary work on it. So the second one is Passover. We know where this was. That when the death angel came, when they were in Egypt, they slaughtered a lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost, go into the door, I mean into the house. And the death angel passed over. So this is a second convocation, the Passover. The, this one is, is amazing. These uh, four feasts, which was unleavened bread, it was uh, Passover, the first fruits, and Pentecost. These first are called the spring feast. Anybody know what happened on those four um, feasts? 
They were fulfilled absolutely on the day. On the day, Jesus fulfilled all four feasts during that time. The spring feast. He was a sinless sacrifice, so he's reminiscent of the feast of uh, unleavened bread. Then he was our Passover lamb. He went into the grave and he resurrected and he fulfilled first fruits on the day that this happened. 50 days after that was the day of Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. So the first four um, fall feast or um, spring feasts were fulfilled in Christ, what he did. There are three more feasts that are yet to be fulfilled. The first one on that list is the Feast of Trumpets, which is today. Today is the Feast of Trumpets. On the other side of the earth is Israel. They're, they're, they're the timepiece. They're the clock. So whatever it coincides with their uh, place and their calendar is what we're concerned with. We're on a whole different calendar than they are. They're on a lunar calendar. We're on a Gregorian calendar. So our dates don't line up. But right now is going on the Feast of Trumpets. This was a time where they would blow the trumpets and they were basically proclaiming the kingship of the Messiah is what they were, they were blowing for. That's what it was. It was called Rosh Hashanah. It's the head of the year. It's the start of the year. The very first uh, of the year. And it was called the Holy Convocation. It says that these feasts were commanded, the men of Israel were commanded to go in seven times a year to make an appearance in Jerusalem. But the women were only on a Shemitah year. So every seven years they were commanded to come in on that day. And there was a Jubilee year, which was every 50 years would be a cancellation of debt. Do you know this Feast of Trumpets is a trifecta? It's, it's a Shemitah year, so it's a every seven year cycle. It's also the Feast of Trumpets on this date, and it coincides with some lunar events, as well as it's a Jubilee year. And they said this, this trifecta of, of convergence will not happen for another 50 years because it's on a lunar calendar. In my opinion, I can't see the Lord waiting another 50 years to come back for us in this planet, the way things are going. Now, does that mean he's coming back this week? I don't know, because it says no man knows the day or the hour. But the point that I'm making is, when we get into things of God and the exactness of his timing, it's like a precision watch. That it says in Daniel 9, it was talking about the fact that there was a certain amount of days that when this proclamation went out to rebuild the walls and the, the um, temple, that there were so many days that Messiah would show up and Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey on that particular day. And it says that those uh, dates were given in segments of seven. It's called a Shabua, or it's instead of looking at a decade, it's time frames of seven, called a Shabua. So that's how this is being calculated. There is one more week of years having to do with the Jewish people. The, when Jesus got crucified, he said this thing stopped, it got cut short. And we know through studying the Bible that there's a de definite period of time that is left unfulfilled having to do with the Jewish people, which is a seven-year period. Now, during this seven-year period, Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, when he comes, when the Antichrist or this person that's going to be feigning Christ, the first uh, figure that comes after the, the, after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist shows up. And he says, this person is going to be hailed as the man with the answers. He's going to have all the answers. And the world is going to herald him in. And I'm telling you right now, the world would grab onto this guy like nobody's business. They've already said this in the European Union. I remember the quote. 
It says we have the infrastructure in place here. And all we need is a person to take the helm of this. And he goes, whether he's a man or whether he's a devil, we don't care. We just want somebody to take the reins of this thing and run it to where it needs to go. You remember when Prince Charles recently, I don't know if you saw this, but he was making a speech and he was talking about we're going into a new time. And it says we're going to have billions of dollars at his disposal and we're going to have military backing at his disposal. And he didn't disclose who the he was, but everybody was saying, man, he's he's basically um, clearing the field for this character who's just waiting in the wings. And what is it that's holding him back right now? What is it that's holding him back right now? It's the Holy Spirit's presence within the body of Christ. When the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, something new was conceived at that point. It was called the body of Christ. We are His hands. We are His feet. We're His eyes. We're His mouth. We are an occupying force. We're like a military force on this planet right now. And it says, He that hinders, this is 2 Thessalonians, He that hinders shall hinder until he be taken out of the way. The church right now is hindering the full force of evil that would want to overtake the earth right now. These things are happening. The feast of trumpets, the feast of trumpets on this convergence of three events, three, uh, the the Shabuah year, uh, the Shemitah year, the um, year of Jubilee, as well it coincides with some lunar events. I didn't really look into that too much, but there's lunar. And so these things are like a clock. It, it turns at a certain rate, and it'll only align like this. They said in the next 50 years, it'll come back to this. It's almost like a slot machine where all things came up. Boom, 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 jackpot. Here it is. Now, does that mean that we're going to hear that trumpet blast this weekend? I don't know. But I believe that it's The tumblers on the prophetic clock are spinning right now. Very quickly. We also made mention of the fact that there is a desperate desire for the rebuilding of the temple in Israel. They're very, very uh, desirous of this. In fact, the Jews, according to their Bible, they don't realize that Jesus was their Messiah and they crucified him and they missed it. Their form of worship says we need a temple we need to do animal sacrifices because we don't have any atonement for our sins so they're very desirous of building a third temple and right now we know that the story that there was a red heifer that is part of the cleansing of the temple it says find a red heifer where there is no blemish and after it's two years old two years in a day slaughter it burn it take the ashes of that and you can use this for the cleansing of the implements in the temple that there is a red heifer or a, a several of them in Israel now. And they haven't had red heifers, pure red heifers for a thousand, over a thousand years. And here it is. This animal is there and there's a big to-do in Israel. They've already trained up the priesthood. They've already made the implements. They've cut the stones. They could put this thing together pretty quick. And what is hindering that is the uproar that would be caused by the Muslims if they attempted to do this. Now, it says that the Antichrist is a person that will come in and he would enforce a covenant. He would say, okay, no, no, let's allow them to do this. Let's allow them to do this. But his intention is that he's going to defile that temple and go in there at the midpoint, three and a half years exactly in, and say, I'm God, worship me as God. And the Bible in Matthew 24 says, when you, when t- speaking to the Jews, when you see this take place, get out of town, get out. He's not talking to the church because I believe the church is not there on the earth at this point. The church is raptured. It's taken out. I think 
and I believe in studying the Word that God's Word is very exacting. It's very precise. It's not, well, it, it might be here, it might be that. The problem is, a lot of times, after it's fulfilled, we look back on it and says, oh, wow, look at this, how this all lined up. And a lot of times, our view is limited with prophecy. We'll see it after the facts and say, okay, this makes sense, why this like We didn't have a fuller understanding of this, and why this came out the way it did. And so we're in that place right now. But Jesus, speaking to his disciples... He was very uh, meticulous. And the, even the apostles were very meticulous to write these things down. Do you know the Bible is about one-third prophecy? And there's a lot of churches don't even want to touch this topic. They're uncomfortable with the, pro, the, the prophetic uh, teachings. Maybe they never learned it. Maybe their they're, maybe they're dominion now or their kingdom now theology where they said, well, this, is, this doesn't apply to us. We, we just pick the scriptures that, uh, that go along with what we want to see happen in the earth. And we don't have that luxury. It has to be in accordance with God's word. Read the book of Revelation. Read the very last because I tell that to people. I said, you know, you can have a gun and you can look to the front side of it and basically point anything and say, I'm on target with that. But unless you line the back side up with the front side, then, you, then you're on target at that point. And I believe that the book of Revelation is the terminus point of all the scriptures. They come into con conclusion at the end of the Bible. And this is where if you line that up with the rest of the scriptures, with the history of the church, even that scripture we just read in Peter says, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. We're coming to the end of this period, this thousand year period of the church age. It was the age of grace, the dispensation of the church. We're coming to that. And then what happens at that point, we're studying this in the book of Joel. It says the day of the Lord begins. The day of the Lord. And it says, woe to those who desire. This is in Joel. Woe to those, or Amos. Woe to those who desire the day of the Lord. It's a day of darkness, a day of gloominess. It would be like you went in and uh, you escaped from a lion and a, and, or a bear and a lion got you. Or you went into a house and you leaned on a wall and the wall fell down and a serpent bit you. There's nothing that we desire in that day. But the Lord has made provision for his church. He says, I have not appointed my church to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Christ. So there is hope. We're talking about hope here. You know, what is our hope? Our hope is the resurrection of Christ. The fact that Jesus did resurrect. If, we, if Jesus is still in the grave, if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, um, this is where it talks about the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 talks about the gospel. The gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in a nutshell. But if we drop down to uh, verse 12, it says, Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how then do some amongst you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, and Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found of false witnesses in God because we have testified of God that he is raised from Christ, uh, raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise for if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen your faith is futile and you're still in your sins 
Then also those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ have perished. If then in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If there is no resurrection, why not just live like the world and just party as the hardest as you can here? But if there is a resurrection and there is a sanctity or there is a, a sanctifying lifestyle that the Lord is looking for and our hopes are upon that, then that should be a tempering way of lifestyle to us. And in fact, because the rapture is an imminency, it's, it's like we don't know the date when the rapture could take. I'm not going to say the date because I don't know. But that event should say, I want to live ready. I want to be ready when the Lord, when that trumpet blasts. I want to be ready. It goes on in verse 20. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. For since man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. You remember what I said about Christ? He fulfilled the first fruits. Right here is evidence of that. A uh, first fruits was... It was like the, the, the first uh, down payment or the first installment on the harvest. So the guy, the, the person would come in and they would cut a sheaf of wheat or whatever it was and come in and present it before the temple and they'd wave it before the Lord. And says, this is the first of many to come. The many to come is the church and the body of Christ and all the souls that are coming because of the victory of Christ, because of his resurrection, because of his, his conquering over the sin and death and the grave that we're part, we're the, we're the um, general harvest is coming in. Christ was the first fruits. We're going to be the general harvest. It will be harvested at that time. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment we die, our spirit and soul go up to meet the Lord. And we're, we're in heaven, but the body goes into the ground. It's like a seed that gets planted. The body goes into the ground. Now, talking about trumpets, if we drop down to verse 50, it says, Now, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corru incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For his corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So then the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? This is one of the Scriptures that highlights the reality of the rapture. It says that there is a generation that would be alive like Enoch that walked so close to, with God that there was a point where he didn't even die. He just says, and he walked with God and God took him. He took him out, which is a prefigure of the rapture of the church. There is a generation that will not see death. It's not a fantasy. It's in the scriptures. It's talking about, and the reality of it is, it is accompanied by the sound of a trumpet, which is interesting. The sound of a trumpet. It says, um, let me read this scripture also. This is in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4. And it's a comfort at Christ's coming. What I'm doing, I'm just highlighting scriptures so that what I'm saying up here is not some fantasy, but this is tied into the scriptures. Amen? 
It says in chapter First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 13, it says, But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Do you want to be ignorant? No. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to know, right? Those who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ, lest we sorrow as others who have no hope, You remember our hope is beyond this world. It's not just an earthly hope that we have. We have a hope that's beyond the grave. That we sorrow as other have no hope. I mean, to do a funeral for somebody or a memorial or a celebration of life for somebody like Lawrence, it's like I said, it's bittersweet. It's a a joyous thing because we're celebrating his uh, going on to be with the Lord. But for us, we miss him. But when somebody dies outside of the faith, that is just tragic. That's just tragedy, right? It says, lest we sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or have died in Jesus. For this we say to you, that by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall by no means precede those who are asleep or who had died. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is a comforting word. This is a word of hope. This is something that we can set our eyes at and say, man, will it be this week? Will it be this year? I don't know. But I know it's going to happen. It's right here in black and white. The, the apostle said, this was a mystery that was revealed to him. He penned it down and he says, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, when you begin to see the things that we're seeing right now, he says, lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. There's seven years of turmoil on this planet that needs to take place until Jesus physically steps down on this planet and establishes his kingdom. But before that day, this will take place. Before that day. And what day that is, no man knows the day or the hour. But the interesting thing is, even with this Feast of Trumpets, you know what they call this? This celebration? The celebration which no man knows the day or the hour. Because it was in accordance with a new moon. And it says there's, they actually give it two days to celebrate this. Because maybe the moon was obscured. Because two people in Jerusalem have to observe the little sliver of a new moon. And say, this is the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets. And if they miss it, maybe the next night they'll see it. You remember when Jesus said that? Of my appearing, no man knows the day of the hour but my father. Some people feel he was hinting at the fact that it would be on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I'm not going to set a date. I'm not going to say because if I'll come back next week and I'll have to apologize, I won't say that. (laughs) But I just find it very interesting that all these things are coalescing. And not only that, we look back in history to say, well, he fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because he was our unleavened sacrifice. He was our perfect sacrifice. Had no sin. That feast, you have, you, I talked to even Pastor Rob. He said they do this to this day. Before they celebrate the Passover, they got to go through their house. And they sweep and they vacuum. And they take every little crumb out of their house. Because it might be a potential crumb of some bread that had leaven in it. So you clean out your whole house. And you throw away your bread. Or you give it to somebody to hold on to until after the seven days. 
But you take all leaven out of your house. You don't eat anything with leaven because leaven is symbolic of sin for seven days. And then you celebrate the Passover, which Christ was. You know what they said about Jesus in Matthew 25, 6? Talking about fulfilling things on particular days. You remember when they were plotting his murder? It's interesting. 26.5. Matthew. Sorry. 26.5. Oh, no. Um, I'm sorry. I got that. Let me see. I can find it. I thought I wrote down the right one. Oh, it would be it would be before. I'm sorry, saints. I'll just tell you what it says. I'll find it later. I'm sorry that I didn't write the right scripture down. But this is basically it. They were plotting to kill Christ. They were plotting on, man, everybody's following after this guy. He's making a real problem for us. And they talk to Judas and says, man, well, you want to you just sell him out to us and we'll give you some silver over here? So they're plotting this thing. And during the Feast of Passover, like I said, it was a holy convocation. So the city swelled up with all these people who lived in the surrounding country. This place was packed with people. And they're already living in a tenuous situation with the Romans. These Jews were very rebellious. And the Romans are always trying to put these things down. And it was a hardship for Pontius Pilate as well as the Jews. There was this real tension. You can see that in the crucifixion. And as they're conspiring this, they're plotting this, they said, We want to get him, but not during the feast. Don't do it during this time, lest there be a riot, is what they say. 26.5. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. So, what was it, Pastor Tyler? I, I, yeah, I had it written. I don't know why I couldn't find it. There it was, 26.5. Not during the feast, lest there be an uprising. But when did Jesus fulfill these things? Exactly on the feast days. Exactly. First, I mean, uh, uh, unleavened bread. Passover, because he's our Passover lamb. First fruits, he resurrected. The first type, he's coming out of the grave. This is the, this is the type he's going to be. We're going to have a body like Christ. We're going to have a, a, a glorified body like Christ. And then 50 days later, he says, Wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. The feast of um, Pentecost. 50 days after, he ascended up. So these things were fulfilled exactly on the days of the first four spring feasts. We got three more feasts coming up, starting off with the Feast of Trumpets. The next is the Day of Atonement. And the last one is the Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles, what, um, we, we just studied the Tabernacle. It says that Jesus came and tabernacled amongst his people. Emmanuel lived amongst. There's coming a time where he's physically coming back to the planet to take up dominion on the throne of David and say, I am King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But before that, there's a seven year period of hell on earth and we don't want to be here. So he's telling us, keep our eyes fixed upon him. If we have any leaven in our life, get rid of that leaven. Keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Live a life. It says, as, we, as He was, so we are in the world, that when we see Him, we will be like Him. 
That should be a motivation. I believe that the teaching of the rapture of the church is a purifying doctrine. It has us to stay on our toes and to be ready. Because we never know the day or the hour when the Lord could come. But we have such a great hope in Him that He is coming back. He didn't lie to us. He is coming back. If anybody, you guys know World War II history. When the Philippines were invaded by the Japanese. And um, Douglas MacArthur was uh, defending the Philippines. And it was just, they didn't have the troops. They didn't have the backing. We were fighting the Germans in Europe. And America says, just retreat, retreat back and go to Australia. And we'll wait it out until the opportune time where we can come back and do an invasion back in the Philippines. And when Douglas MacArthur departed from the Philippines, he said, I shall return. I shall return. And then they have a picture of him walking the, the landing craft, boom, the thing coming. And him stepping down on that beach several years later and liberated the Philippines from the Japanese. Now, if a man makes that kind of promise, a physical man, and Jesus says, I will return. I will set up my kingdom. We can take that to the bank. And all these things that I'm speaking of, they're in the scriptures. These things are being fulfilled in our day and our time. It's worth our keeping our eyes on him. When you begin to see these things happening, lift up your heads because your redemption draught nigh. He is coming. The thing is, I believe even J.D. Farage says this, I think he's allowed life here on this earth, with, starting off with COVID, that was a worldwide phenomenon, for us to kind of lose our flavor for this planet, because I think we had a tight grip on this, and we looked down the line and said, where is this all headed? And we kind of lose our love for this. It's like, man, I'm really not into this anymore. But our desire for the things of eternity, our desires for the things of God, should be elevated at this point. And that's the picture I'm trying to paint for us. We shouldn't lose hope in this hour. We should be saying, He's coming. He's coming back. It could be today. It could be today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.